How to Thrive in Life, next on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your to thrive is to grow and to flourish. And several factors for life and growth are necessary. That's true not only for the natural life, but also supernatural life. Well, what are they? And how do we thrive in life? We'll get some answers on our weekend edition of Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We'll find those in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and they might surprise you. We'll learn that they're simple truths, but hard to do. There's actually three. Love your leaders, love one another, and love the will of God. And I should add, not on our own or independent of the Lord in His church, but by the Lord loving through us. Pastor Ed begins today's lesson by reading our scripture. And again, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, brothers and sisters, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, brothers and sisters, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient, with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So this baby turtle was standing at the bottom of a tree looking up. And he let out a big sigh, and he started to climb the tree. Took forever. About an hour later, he gets up to a tall branch, and then he works his way out on the side of the branch. And then he looks out, crouches down, and leaps with all four flippers extended. And he crashes all the way down into a pile of leaves. Shakes it off, gets out, walks back over to the tree trunk, stands in front of it, looks up and sighs, and starts up it again. Takes him an hour again. Gets up to the same branch, works his way across it carefully, looks out over the landscape, takes a deep breath, crouches down, and leaps as far as he can stretch his flippers. Boom, right to the ground, into the leaves. Two sparrows are watching him. A mom and a dad. The mom says to the dad, I think it's time we tell Junior that he's adopted. (laughs) I don't know why that tickled me so much, but all alone, laughing like an idiot. (laughs) It fits this morning because your view of your life is important, isn't it? How you see your life. About 30 years ago, a pastor wrote a a collection of essays 
Robert Fulgham, and it became a runaway bestseller. You probably heard of the first one, it's the title of the book, All I Really Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. And like the title sounds like, he went through the various things that a normal five-year-old would learn in kindergarten in the sandbox and then applied them to adults' lives. Now, he was a counselor. He spent many years as a pastor, and he took a lot of notes. And these, he actually wrote down not so much for other people, but he just wrote them down for himself and never expected the book to do so well. It's a clever presentation of do's and don'ts to live a contented spiritual life. For example, share everything. Play fair. Don't hit other people. Clean up your own mess. Wash your hands before you eat. Warm cookies and milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work some every day. And it goes on like that. It's appealing in its simplicity and common sense approach to life. Well, Paul the Apostle writes a few basic priorities for believers here in this last part of his letter to the Thessalonians. He is closing, he's coming towards the close of the letter, we'll finish it next time, and he gives these exhortations that you might call a kindergarten list. They're simple, they're kindergarten stuff, but they're not easy. They're simple to understand, but not easy to do in your life. And in fact, if you don't do it with God's power, it'll never happen. How to thrive in our spiritual life. So we now transfer this to our lives today, are approaching yet another election. And we're faced with a lot of uncertainties, not just in our nation, but in the whole world. Life is changing at a pace that probably none of us in this room have ever seen before, not just in areas of technology and medicine, but a lot of areas. Families are changing, values are changing, society is changing, morality is under attack. The new modernity is attempting to rewrite values in our nation in general. In the midst of all this change, how do believers how do you and I prepare for life here in the 21st century? The good news is that although many things are changing, the really important ones are not. Jesus Christ never changes. Hebrews 13.8 tells us, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the good news. The world may be falling around us. Maybe your own private world feels like it's fragmenting right now. However, you can be sure that God is the same, that he is still loving, he is still resourceful, he's still strong, kind, powerful, merciful, generous, holy, good, faithful. He is the same. He's the same as the day he created the universe. Your problems are small. He's the same God who led those in the Old Testament in general, in their lives. He's the same as the God of the New Testament that we've been studying, taking them, giving them protection and power. 
You can depend on God to lead you, to take care of you, and to protect you in the days to come. God still says, I change not. If you don't get anything else out of coming here this morning, grab a hold of that. God does not change. God Almighty is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, as we read these words written to a northern church of Greece almost 2,000 years ago, we'll find that they are as fresh and applicable as the day in 51 AD that the Apostle Paul put pen to parchment. At this close here, he gives this list, and it breaks up into three parts. Love your leaders, love one another, verse 12 and 13, then 14 and 15, and love the will of God in your life, 16 through 18. The will of God is a subject that seems like a monolith, a huge, impossible concept. I know when I first became a believer, I got so intense to figure out what was the will of God for my life, like it was some secret and I needed to know the combination, and as soon as I got it, everything would work out. And honestly, I was neurotic about it. I'd get up and say, Lord, should I eat post-toasties or Wheaties this morning? <laughs> and, and just add that to the re- the white shirt or the green shirt, you know, tennies all that. It took me a while, but I figured out by studying this book, The Will of God. That's what this last section tells us, the will of God for your life and mine. What was strange about that time in my life is I trusted God to get me to heaven. I knew I was going to heaven. I was radically saved. I was this complete jerk, and then God took me in, and we started, started to change me by grace, because I didn't deserve any of it. So I trusted God for eternity, but for some reason, I was unsure about today, (laughs) and next week, and next month, and next year. Like, I I just had to know. If I knew, then I'd be safe. (laughs) And I gave God that advice over and over again. (laughs) And so far, he hasn't taken it. (laughs) He doesn't need for me to know, he says just so he knows. So maybe some in this room are in that place, and you'll find the last section particularly interesting. Let's jump in and see what it says to all of us. Verse 12, and we urge you, brethren, brothers and sisters, Adelphos is the Greek word, and it means literally the womb, people from the womb. Well, we are brothers and sisters from our born-again experience. God is our Father. That's what he was saying to them, and it's still true today that you're surrounded right now by brothers and sisters. I know, I know. We don't get to choose our brothers and sisters. And sometimes our natural ones are the worst to get along with. You know, there's good days and there's bad days. But for such as it is, this is the body of Christ. This is your family. That's what Paul is saying. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Another translation, modern translation. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and warn you against anything that is wrong. So those that God has chosen to be over, over you, 
prostemos, to stand before it means literally in the Greek language, the person who stands up in front, the leader who presides. Now the church historically has gone to both extremes in this matter of over you. Too much power has been given to leaders in history. We'd like to pause here to welcome those just tuning in. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, and glad you're with us. Now with part two of today's lesson from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and more on leadership in the church, once again, here's Pastor Ed. We still have a movement in this area called shepherding. I had a, a couple come to me a while back who go to another church and they asked if they could come and ask me some questions about this subject, about what does it mean to rule over them? And they were going to a small church that the pastor wanted to be involved in every, well, every financial decision that a couple made. And uh, they were trying to buy a refrigerator. He wanted them to buy a smaller one and then give the rest of the money to the church. And you could see that it was not right. So too much power is often taken by those in leadership. On the opposite extreme, there are some denominations and some fellowships that say that there's no leader, there's no such thing as a leader. And I've had those conversations with people. All ground is level at the cross. None of us are better than, but God does choose people to be over us. This church that you're attending this morning has a board of elders, and those men, they're called elders because that's what Scripture calls them. For example, Titus 1.5. The reason I left you in Crete, Paul's writing to this young pastor who was on the island of Crete, first century. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders, presbyteros is the Greek word, appoint elders to, in every town as I directed you. So this word, presbyteros, means to rule over an assembly. In the Greek culture, the emperor would appoint a presbyteros over each city and they would report back to the emperor. If uh, you were in a Jewish synagogue, the presbyteros was the ruler of the synagogue. You remember Jesus had a confrontation with the ruler of the synagogue. But here, Paul is appointing elders over churches. Acts 20:17. He's coming down the coast of what modern-day Turkey is, and from Miletus, he went he sent word to Ephesus and called the elders, same word, to, of the church to come and speak to him. So there's no question that God put some people over. Now, by the way, we have an amazing board of elders. I have no problem submitting to them. There's some brilliant guys, they're businessmen, engineers, doctors. They made it uh, well. They, their lives were in order, their families were in order, and you can rest assured that uh, there's good leadership here. So it's not hard for me to submit to them. Shouldn't be hard for you. Some of you know them personally. Well, they admonished you. They're over you in the Lord, and they admonish. And the word nutheo uh, in the Greek language means to counsel. It means to get good advice, for someone to remind someone else of what they have forgotten, or they're in danger of forgetting, or that they're doing something that is obviously out of order. It's good to go to people who are mature and who have worked their way through things in life. I really enjoy uh, 
talking with young men, our Tuesday night men's study, and, and help them learn from my mistakes as a young father and a young husband and, and see them put it in their, their own lives. So that's what Paul is talking about. He goes on, verse 13, and to esteem them, these elders, very highly in love. We're to love them for their work's sake, for what they're doing for you, and be at peace among yourselves. Live peaceably with each other, Paul is saying. Might have been a little struggle going on in Thessalonica. We're not sure, but that makes you wonder. Live peaceably with all men. Now, esteem them, the, the word suggests to make a conscious choice, a judgment of the leaders, and decide whether or not you can accept that. And I emphasize that because I think we're seeing more and more, not just in our nation, but in the world. I have an opportunity to do pastors' conferences in Europe and Asia, and people are, are having trouble with commitment. I'll challenge you millennials that are here this morning. <laughs> A failure to commit to something, failure to launch, right? So I think that's exactly what Paul is speaking to here, that you steam them, you choose, okay, I'm gonna go to this fellowship, and what we see is, is people moving all around. And why is that bad, Pastor? Well, I have a peach tree I planted in my backyard last year. And uh, I didn't like where I put it, and I'd like to move it, but I know if I move it each year, it's never going to grow any peaches. Well, that's true about our lives spiritually. If we keep moving around, we don't put down roots anywhere, then we can't see any lasting fruit over a long period of time. So I believe that's what he's getting to. Live peaceably with everyone. That's not easy. Of course it's not easy. I love Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as you are able, another translation says, live at peace. I like it because that means you can do everything on your side of the street, you can, but they have to reciprocate. And sometimes they don't. And so you don't have a responsibility beyond doing what you need to do to keep a good relationship. Be at peace among yourselves. Love your leaders. That's what he's saying. Now he speaks to loving one another. It gets a little tougher. Now we exhort you, encourage you, brothers, brethren, brothers and sisters, Adelphos, Warn those who are unruly, confront the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. Now, I confess to you, I, I read that many times. And this time, I felt like I, I, I didn't understand all of this. So I began to take it apart. Warn those who are unruly. Some of your translations say idlers. Another translation says those who are lazy. I don't believe that's the correct translation. That's the later use of the Greek word. Initially, it meant anyone who was disorderly, rebellious, out of order. We've all been there before. The idea is to encourage them to avoid their misdirected course in life, to be available to help them. When you see a believer not doing well, how do you respond? Well, that's their own problem. I'm leaving it alone. That's not what Paul is saying here. You have to get involved. Sometimes we don't want to. It's hard, particularly when they look at you like you've lost your mind, right? Instead of being short and cutting them off, listen. Listen carefully the pressures that they're under. We don't know what another person is under until we walk a mile in their moccasins sort of thing. 
Oftentimes, people that appear to be very strong are not strong, and they're struggling with difficult things. And, and then when you've listened, then caution them what you've learned in your own life. Don't be afraid to talk about your failures. Heaven knows. I talk about them all the time up here. And, and that helps people. They, they understand you don't think you're perfect. You just have made all the mistakes that they don't want to make. And then they can learn from that. Comfort, the second one. Comfort the faint-hearted. Faint-hearted is a great Greek word. It means small-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D, a person with a small soul. Some people are fragile, is what this is saying. You know them, I know them. Some people have a story that they became fragile because of a childhood or an early life struggle. But others are just born that way. They have a, a natural tendency to be more reticent in life. Others come out of the womb boldly. <laughs> and they're still bold to this day, right? But the fragile ones are easily overlooked by the world. The retiring person keeps their head down and their eyes focused on the ground. And we miss an opportunity to be helpful to them. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying strengthen those who are fragile. This sounds very much like Jesus. We looked at it a while back, Matthew 12, 18. That's that story where Jesus is sitting and he's reading from Isaiah about himself. The line that really jumps out is, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering flax he will not quench. Verse 20. It's used, this bruised reed, as a metaphor. Obviously, he's talking about people. He's talking about that person that gets bent over, you know, reeds along a river. Think bamboo small bamboo, and kids break through it, and, and they break one off. Well, why not? There's tens of thousands of shoots of reeds. Why not break off people? There's millions. There's billions of people. A bruised person, God will not cut off. That's an amazing statement about who Jesus is, and you can see it when you go through his life. He did it over and over again. Life is messy. Things happen we didn't plan for. They overwhelm us. And we become bruised by someone or something or a disease or an accident. And, and then the world tends to go right on by, keep on going. Not God. He stops. And he wants to shore up that bent reed, strengthen you. He wants to use you to strengthen others that are in that condition. The second one, a smoldering flax, he will not quench is, is a picture of a, that little oil lamp, you know, kind of like an Aladdin's lamp with wick sticking out of linen or flax, and they put oil in it, and it burns, and not very efficient, no electricity. They had no idea of how expensive it could be to light your home. <laughs> and when the oil goes low, starts to smoke, runs out, just the wick itself is on fire, and it just glows with a little ember, kind of like a fireplace going out, and that's a person who at one time, they were doing well in the Lord. They were on fire for God, even it suggests. And then something happened. Again, life is hard. And you didn't expect that thing to happen that did. And people will pass you by, step on the wick, not God. He blows on that ember to build it back, to strengthen. How does he do that? Through you. That's what Paul is saying that you and I have an opportunity to do that for other people. 
Thanks for being with us this weekend for Grow in Grace. We're studying 1 Thessalonians with Pastor Ed Ray. It's part of a larger study in the New Testament. If you've joined us late or you just want to hear this again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or you can call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring Grow and Grace to you, and we look to our listeners to help make all of this possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about. It's True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. After serving the Lord as a pastor for many years, Francis began to wonder if Christianity really made a difference in people's lives. True spirituality, you could say, is the result of his effort to re-examine his faith. And if you want to discover what true spirituality looks like in everyday life, this is the book for you. We'll send you a copy when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone.